I'm going to read the entire chapter, Galatians chapter 2. Then 14 years after I went again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went by revelation, communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because a false brother unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seemed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's persons, for they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was to Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter through the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Only the wood that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For he bore that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that he walked not uprightly, according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the man of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So I've titled this message tonight, Frustrating the Grace of God. Frustrating the Grace of God. You know, I'm afraid there's many times that we really do frustrate the grace God has given us. I was reading a, read a, I think it was actually Luther's definition of a Christian, and it was something to the effect that's not one that does not sin, it's one that Christ does not, and he used the words chalk up sin to. In other words, God does not impute sin to us because they've been imputed to Christ. Christ paid our sin debt, so so we we are now justified. So a Christian is not is not a person that does not sin. There aren't any of those in the world. Uh, there aren't any of those that do not sin in the world. We all sin. 
but the question tonight is, and as we're going to see, you know, this, this, I hope this will encourage you in one sense and challenge you in another. Um, as we're going to see tonight, I think it's kind of evident that we all at times frustrate the grace of God. And the word frustrate means to reject or to refuse or to slight it. Um, so I have, I have three, I guess it's three, three, three ways that we frustrate the grace of God. First of all, by not trusting in the sufficiency of Christ. That's really what it is. In verses 1 through 5, again, Then fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and went by revelation communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run in vain or had run in vain. And, and what Paul means here, I believe, with that statement is he met with the pastoral staff, not the whole church. The problem wasn't with the pastoral staff. The problem that was had come about, you know, Paul uh, had to deal with these, we call them Judaizers. They're Jewish people who said they've been saved, but also say, but you still have to be circumcised to be fully saved. Whatever that means. But but you, if you weren't circumcised, then you really weren't saved. And that's what they're saying. That's what he's saying. So Paul met with, with, the, with those uh, privately. But he says, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. In other words, those in a, those in like James, he mentions in verse nine, James, Cephas, who was Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars. In other words, they didn't think they didn't compel him to circumcise Titus. In other words, they didn't feel it was necessary, um, even though he's a Greek. And that verse four, because a false brother unawares brought in, who came in private to spy our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you, with you. So the issue here is, that Paul's referring to, the issue here is that these many Jewish converts still believe that to be fully saved, you had to be circumcised. Yes, you believe in Christ by faith, but you also had to be circumcised. And it is adding, or going back into the works of the law. Your know, circumcision was a Jewish thing, and... And, I, and I'm not saying it was a bad thing, for even for health reasons, but that's another whole matter. But but it was a, it was a Jewish identification mark of separation of a Jew, uh, given specifically to Abraham and his descendants. Uh, and to require that for salvation was going back and and keeping the law. In verse 16, Paul says, "Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ." Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So so again, the, the issue here at hand is the idea of circumcision. And that was a, the, the thing that was instituted under Abraham and a mark of the Jewish people and was going back and trusting in works. You know, that's not an issue today. Circumcision is not an issue today. Instead, we supplement other things. People today say, well, you know, you've got to be baptized. Baptism. Uh, there are those that teach if 
you know, that, of course, baptismal regeneration, that baptism washes away sins. But baptism, you know, baptism is something that's commanded by God, but baptism is an outward manifestation of the work of grace in the heart. It's not receiving Christ, but it's a public identification or a public testimony of having received Him. Uh, so baptism has nothing to do with salvation. You know, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized as Jesus said today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now I believe that you know, the Bible, uh, if a person refuses or doesn't want to be baptized, something's wrong. Something's wrong. When a, when a person says they've, they've been born again and doesn't want to obey a com- clear command of Scripture, something is wrong. It, 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 it gives us the right to question their salvation. You know, Jesus said by their Fruits, you shall know them. First uh, John tells us in chapter three that that he uh, he that is righteous does righteousness. In other words, his, his seed remaineth in him. In other words, he's gonna he cannot live in sin or continue to live in in perpetual disobedience. Uh, no, uh, the seed of if, when a person is born again, the seed of the Spirit of God is still there and will convict them and convince them of their sin and their wickedness. So, so people substitute baptism today. They also substitute, of course, good works. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. However, we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So again, we're not saved by good works, but we do good works if we are saved. You know, Jesus went about doing good. You know, He didn't come just to do good. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. But true Christianity, the fruit of that is good works. It will change. It will change a home, a community, a country. I mean, why, why is America different than all the countries in the world? What, why is our form of government different than any before or, or, you know, and even to this day? Why is it we have more liberty than any country in the world? It's because of our founding fathers recognized the truths of the Bible and the influence of Christian people. You know, we have the the uh, uh, Bill of Rights, basically because a group of Baptists petitioned James Madison and others to put that in our Constitution. You know, the freedom of speech, uh, the the uh, and the press, and so on, and and the freedom of religion. Uh, that's a Baptist idea. It's not a it's not a Presbyterian idea. <laughs> And it wasn't a Lutheran idea. And it certainly isn't a Catholic idea. No, it was a Baptist idea. It's a Bible idea. And the Baptists were the ones who, who, who petitioned that. You see, if we are saved, good works is the fruit of that. We're to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what, that's a, that's the second greatest commandment Jesus told us. But 
In verse 18, there's an interesting statement. He says, For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. How is it a sin to build again a way to God through the law of Moses? One commentator said this, In many ways, but perhaps the greatest, is that it looks at Jesus hanging on the cross. You know, Again, this idea that, well, you've got to do something. It looks at Jesus like hanging on the cross, taking the punishment we deserve, bearing the wrath of God for us, and says to him, That's all very nice. But it isn't enough. Your work on the cross won't be good enough before God until I'm circumcised or baptized or do a certain amount of good works. You know, that is a great insult in the face of a holy God. That's what a lot of people are doing. We're not trusting in the sufficiency of Christ. This is the, the great tragedy of legalism. And one time a commentator said this, in trying to be more right with God, legalists end up being less right with God. And this, of course, was exactly the situation of the Pharisees. They were legalists. They were trusting in their good works. And of course, Paul understands this very well. He was a Pharisee himself. So, we frustrate the grace of God by not trusting in the sufficiency. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. It is efficacious. In other words, it completely satisfied the righteousness of God on our behalf. Completely. There's nothing we can do to add to it. Secondly, we frustrate the grace of God by honoring friends or people above the Lord. Uh, verse 11, But when Peter, 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 when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. When they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision, and other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Uh, so here you have, they, they are at Antioch, and they're having a meal. Now, I don't believe this is issue about what they're eating. That's not the issue here. I don't know what they're eating, but the issue is not about what they're eating. The issue is, you see, the Jews were taught that they were not to eat with Gentiles. That's a Jewish tradition. Um, they were to be separate from the Gentiles. So, but when, but now in the church, of course, we are one. There's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. So, the Jews can eat with the Gentiles. But, here in this situation, there are some, after their, some acquaintances come around, they withdraw. This is a common problem that we all have. I mean, we can all look pious and say, boy, I never do that. But I think if we're honest, we have to admit that this is something we all struggle with. And think about it. Eli honored his sons above the Lord. Saul, out of fear of the enemy, 
and gave in to the desires of the people. You know, he, he intruded into the priest's office and then he kept some of the best of the sheep and the oxen because he said the people wanted them for sacrifice. God said destroy them. So, again, he was honoring the people above the Lord. David, a man after God's own heart, out of fear of Saul, went to the enemy, the Philistines. Achish, king of the Philistines, king of Gath. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. Honored his wives, his strange wives, and built them high places. Places of false worship. And in our context here, you have two very influential pastors of the day succumb to peer pressure. Now we like to say, oh, that's a teenage thing. No, it's not just a teenage thing. It's a human problem. It's a problem we all have to do, all have to work at, all have to deal with. And it is, I would say it is very rare or maybe Never a person is not susceptible to this in one way or another, if we're honest. But it does displease or offend the Lord. Notice in verse 13 it says, And other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. The word dissimulation means hypocrisy. And even Barnabas. Barnabas was the man who had traveled with Paul. This is after Paul's first missionary journey. He was the man that traveled with Paul, uh, who was influential in getting Paul accepted by the the, the apostles, uh, the rest of the apostles, and, and he traveled with Paul to these Gentile places and 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 preached to the Gentiles. And here he is, separating from them, because some people from Jerusalem came to visit. That looked down on that. See, these were those people that Paul had to defend himself against constantly. You know, Romans 8 9 says, let love be without dissimulation. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about respect of persons, and that's what this is. Proverbs 24, 23 says, these things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. Proverbs 28.21 To have respect of persons is not good. For for a piece of bread that man will transgress. Romans 2.11 For there is no respect of persons with God. James 2.1 My brethren have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. You don't have the faith that Christ had because you're showing respect to persons. The rich over the poor is what that chapter is about. And in verse 9 of that chapter, he says, My brethren, have not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And one of the guys who's guilty here later on says, And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons, judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in feet in fear. Of course, that's in 1 Peter 1.17. So, we frustrate the grace of God by honoring people above the Lord. The third thing I notice here is we frustrate the grace of God by not accepting the word of the Lord as final. 
Notice verse 3 again. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Verse 7. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Now, this, I believe, is a, is a statement concerning the council at Jerusalem that was held, I, I believe, prior to this account. And, and it was concerning the question of circumcision. Go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. We'll look at that. Acts chapter 15. So there was this dissension that arose. Verse 2 tells us um, about, you know, there was men came from Judea, came down to Antioch and said, you know, except you be circumcised after the man of Moses, you, get, you cannot be saved. Verse 1 tells us that. Uh, later on in the chapter, it tells us that, that uh, in fact, in verse 24, that the leadership, well, the pastors at Jerusalem did not send those men out. They went out on their own. Um, but anyway, be that may, as it may, so because of this question or this problem that was made at the church of Antioch by people from the church of Jerusalem, they decided that we need to meet together, we need to have a meeting and dissolve this question. And so Barnabas and Paul go to Jerusalem about this and they have a discussion with the leadership there and then in verse 7 it says this, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know that how a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God which knoweth the hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, putting no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. So, you know, this is Peter. And, of course, Peter's rehearsing the account of Cornelius. Uh, from Acts chapter 10. Go to Acts chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. Of course, Peter has this vision, and after the vision, immediately, men from Cornelius knock on his door. Verse 17 says, when he doubted himself what this vision should mean, uh, the men made inquiry at the gate. And in verse 27 he says, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said to them, you know that it is, notice this, an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company, or come unto one of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So the, the purpose of the vision was, so Peter would know he was not to call any man, didn't matter who he was or what nation he was from, common or unclean. That was the purpose of the vision. And verse 43, he says to him, and this is a quote from the Old Testament, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth him shall receive remission of sins. 
whosoever. So again, we're referring to anyone. Not just a Jew, but also to the Gentiles. And then in chapter 11, verses 1, uh, when Peter gets home, he's in trouble. He's calling the carpet for what he just did, so to speak. And, and so it says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision condemned with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised that eat with them. Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying. So he, 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 he tells them the whole story. And then in verse 18 it says, When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles grand repentance unto life. And it's interesting, who is it that always seeking a sign? The Jews. And God gave a sign when the first Gentile got saved. Or Gentiles. There was more than just Cornelius in that house. They all spake in tongues. Tongues is a sign gift. So there wasn't any question. You know, there were some other Jews that went with Peter, and so there was they, they were they couldn't believe it. So there's no question. So here we have now Peter dissembling, uh, withdrawing and separating from the Gentiles because there's some of these guys come from Jerusalem. So did Peter know what he was doing was wrong? Barnabas, again, Paul's companion in travel, taking the gospel of the Gentiles, you say, what, what, what they're doing is casting doubt on the word of God. And you know, sin will cause you, cause you to, to doubt God's word. It can be something we should not do, or it could be something we should do and are not. Either way, it's sin. Go to 1 John chapter 2 for just a minute. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So how do I know that I am in him? Well, it says if we keep His commandments. As we obey the Word of God, God's love is perfected. The word perfected means to carry through completely, to accomplish, to finish, to render full. You take a glass. It has, let's say, water is our liquid we're using. Some of you would probably prefer tea, but Let's say water or air. Okay? Let's say air is doubt and water is faith or insurance. The fuller you fill it, well, let's, let's say the water is the Word of God. The fuller you fill it with the Word of God, the more doubt is removed. And the more you obey the Word of God, take heed to it, the less likely you ever have doubts in your life. You see, assurance comes by obedience 
Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Hereby, verse 5 again, the end of that, hereby know we that we are in him. You know, God wants us to know, but that assurance comes as we walk with him, as we obey him, as we, as we partake and, 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 and uh, apply his word to our life. First uh, Timothy, I think it's First Timothy 4, talks about being nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Uh, you know, again, the idea of is is filling your soul, your spirit, with the word of God, just like you would you would uh, satisfy your physical hunger with food and water. So, but we frustrate the word, the grace of God, by not accepting or obeying the word of the Lord. You know, I have to wonder how Peter felt having to stand there. And have Paul confront him to his face before all his friends. Knowing, knowing he was in the wrong. Knowing. You see, how do we not, how do we not frustrate the grace of God? Well, Paul tells us that in verse 20. He said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live with the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So, it's, you know, we, we don't frustrate the grace of God by, and the way we don't do that is by living a life of faith in the flesh. Now, you know, that is simply a life of love for the Lord that takes precedence over anything or anyone else. You know, Luke fourteen twenty six says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, when it says that he's not, we're to, if we, we're not come to him and hate not. In other words, we're to love the Lord more. I, you know, a good, a good uh, illustration of that is in, in Genesis 29 30, remember, of course, Jacob married two wives. Not a good idea. One mother-in-law is enough. Uh, Jacob married two wives, and, uh, and of course, we know that he tells us that he loved Rachel more than Leah. Genesis 29 30 says, He went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah. So he still loved Leah. He just loved Rachel more than Leah. We're to love the Lord more than anyone else. Than anyone else. And so when Paul said, "I, I now live in the flesh," you know, he he didn't he didn't mean, you know, he lived a life uh, a sinful life. It just means that his whole nature, his whole man. Uh, his reason, his instincts, everything about him uh, now is striving to live to please the Lord. Again, the focus is not on the flesh in this verse. It is on faith. The life, uh, life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith was not simply a topic about which Paul preached from time to time. 
nor is it a virtue which he practices occasionally. It is central in all that he does. Now, and again, to encourage you a little bit, was Paul without sin? No, he wasn't. In fact, I've been criticized a little bit about this by a preacher friend, but I said, that's what the Bible says. Remember in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 20, Paul was headed back to Jerusalem, and three times the Spirit said that he was not to go up to Jerusalem. It didn't particularly come right out and say it in those words. First time, I think it did. But after that, it said, you know, remember Agabus came down and he took Paul's girdle and bound himself with it and said, so shall they bind the man that owneth this girdle at Jerusalem. And all the brethren begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul said, I'm willing to die at Jerusalem. He had such a burden for his brethren, he knew it might cost him his life. And I believe he he resisted the Lord's will in that instance. So you, you know, none of us are perfect, but we are to strive to please the Lord. And and of course, the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, Titus two twelve. And, and, you know, we are to strive to live holy. That's what it means to be crucified with Christ. Christ gave up His own will, His own desires, His own ambitions, His own life. That He might give eternal life unto them who will call upon Him. And God wants us to give up our own life. That's what He asked to the rich young ruler. Sell all thou hast and come follow me. Give up your ambitions. You know, I often wondered if rich on the world said, okay, I'll do it. Do you think the rich on the world think the Lord would have made him a pauper? I don't think so. Joseph of Arimathea was a follower of Jesus and he was a rich man. Abraham was a rich man. God's not against riches. It just wears your allegiance. What are you giving preeminence to? That rich young ruler was worshiping. He was covetous and he worshiped. So, um, may we not frustrate the grace of God, but obey its teaching and utilize its power to give us the abundant life that God desires to give us in Christ. Uh, are you frustrating God's grace? Might God help us to simply obey Him and walk in that grace that is available to us and it can give us the victory that will please our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time and your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge and instruction it gives to us and I pray you should help us, Father, uh, to walk in obedience to you, uh, to, to walk by faith and not by sight.
to help us not to frustrate your grace that is sufficient for every need, we pray in Jesus' name.